Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Morning, Ashley. Good morning. We are back to talk about a topic that I am really enjoying. I know, yes. Mission Blockbuster. They are some blockbusters too. They are. And what I love about today's topic mm-hmm. is that it's unexpected. I think this one might take some people by surprise because it's a little different than the right. other blockbusters that right. we've covered. Yes. Guys, we are talking about Shrek. Shrek. The original Shrek. And I thought for our opening, you know, we just recently did an episode on Back to the Future, mm-hmm. the beloved Back to the Future. Very beloved. Well, one of the things that we talked about that was interesting was the fact that Michael J. Fox was not the original Marty McFly. That's correct. That yes. Eric Stoltz had been cast in that role first and was replaced. As I started to research Shrek, and you found out did it was the you same thing? know that yes. there was also a similar circumstance? What do you What do you know about that? I know that Chris Farley was the original choice. Well, no, actually, they offered it to. They were thinking like uh, Steve Martin and somebody else, and they thought about Tom Cruise, and then they offered it to Nicolas Cage, who said, no thanks, I don't want to be seen as an ogre. And (laughs) then they finally settled on Chris Farley, who had recorded, I think, like 95% of the dialogue, and then he unfortunately passed away, Mm -hmm. so they had to recast it. Wow, you know your stuff. I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Yeah, I found that they offered it to Nick Cage, and I found a quote from him. This was a 2013 interview on the Today Show where he explained that Quote, I'm not afraid to be ugly in a movie. Mm-hmm. When you're drawn, in a way, it says more about how children are going to see you oh. than anything else. And I do care about that. Well, Nick Cage. So we that, just love him more and more every episode, don't I we? I know. <laughs> and he said he does not regret turning it down. Oh, good. For that reason. That, or at good. least in 2013, that's what he said. Yeah. I did not know about Chris Farley. Mm. I found that absolutely fascinating. Here's what I found out, though, about Chris. He, of course, had become very, very popular. SNL had made him a huge star. And he had also just come out of Tommy Boy and Black Sheep. And so according to his brother, Kevin Farley, this was in a 2015 Yahoo interview, he had recorded, as you said, most of the movie before his sudden death in 1997. And these are some words that Kevin had to say about the situation. Originally, the Shrek character was a little bit more like Chris, like a humble, bumbling, innocent guy. Mm -hmm. The studio needed to do what they needed to do. It was a bad time, bad timing, a tragedy. Mike did a great job with Shrek. He knocked it out of the park. Mm. You know, part of me wonders if it was 95% done, why they couldn't find someone to impersonate Chris and finish it out unless they felt like the story just wasn't right, you know? Because I think they record the voices before they start animating. They do. Yeah. Yes, they do. But now one thing, I'm making an inference here. One thing I do know is that this was a movie that took a long time, something like four and a half years, and it did have changes that occurred. And so it might have re-recorded. It may have been that they couldn't bring him back in to do those pieces. Well, the other thing too is, we'll talk about this in a second, but when Mike came in, it actually changed the story. Mm -hmm. Like it changed the character Mm -hmm. because this voice actor had an influence on Shrek himself. Right. We'll come back to that. But just to finish out this thought, I actually found a clip of Chris Farley voicing Shrek. This was a YouTube clip that came out not so long ago. So I'm going to play just a short piece of it. Nothing like a fire and a noble romantic mission to warm the cockles of your heart. Yeah. I like my cockles room temperature, thank you very much. Hey, if you're not doing this for cockle woman, why are you doing it? Yeah. Simple. Fartwad gets his princess, I get what I want. Which is? Now come on, what do you want? I don't have time to set it to music. Oh, this is another one of those onion things. No, this is one of those drop it and leave me alone things. Why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? So I could be wrong, but I think some of that dialogue is, is even different. So I think that goes back to what we said yeah. a minute ago. The story did change. Yeah, and Eddie Murphy's character did not sound as manic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I know they, or at least I read that they all recorded, I don't know if those two did, but when it was Mike Myers and Cameron Diaz and Eddie Murphy, they all recorded separately. Yes, they did. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that too. But let's just go ahead and, and establish the foundation. Okay. With our theme for the month being Mission Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. I believe I referenced that we came across a USA Today article where they had listed all the biggest summer blockbusters Mm -hmm. from back to Jaws, which was the the original, through something like, I don't know, 2019. This made the list because this was the biggest summer blockbuster from 2001. And it had a domestic gross, which they adjusted for inflation, of $426.1 million. The unadjusted domestic gross was $267.7 million. And their production budget adjusted was really only 60 million which is a lot for an animated feature it sounds like a lot it sounds a lot to me but when you think about what they brought in not so much yeah i also found a fact that says in 2001 5.5 million dvds were sold making it the biggest selling dvd of all time at that time very cool yeah very cool this same article had this tiny little blurb about shrek here's what they said shrek the animation film about a lovable ogre featured the voices of mike myers eddie murphy and cameron diaz it opened may 16th in 2001 and was the top box office film in its opening weekend with more than 42 million in unadjusted domestic gross. Now, I found this amazing video called the behind the scenes secrets of Shrek bonus feature spotlight by Universal Pictures All Access and we're going to hear a few clips from them because it was so good good, good. if you are interested in the behind the scenes of the original Shrek you should check out this video but here's a little blurb what they said about the film winner of the first Academy Award for best animated feature in 2002 Shrek sparked a motion picture phenomenon and captured the world's imagination with the greatest fairy tale never told Shrek, played by Mike Myers, goes on a 3D quest to rescue the feisty princess Fiona, played by Cameron Diaz, with the help of his lovable donkey, played by Eddie Murphy, and win back the deed to his swamp from scheming Lord Farquaad, played mm-hmm. by John Lithgow. There we go. It was directed by Andrew Adamson and Vicki Jensen. Ultimately, they went through some different people. Mm. The production company was DreamWorks Animation. With Jeff- our guy, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Katzenberg was a producer and also the co-founder of DreamWorks Mm -hmm. and he had of course previously worked at Disney and it sounded like he did not leave on such happy terms which is probably why a lot of this is mocking Disney Mm -hmm. exactly exactly but he had a lot to say on this behind the scenes video as well so we'll have a few quotes directly from old Jeffrey there so tell me what you know about Shrek before we jump in I remember seeing it in the theaters and I remember really enjoying it and on my rewatch I was telling you kind of off screen I enjoyed it but some of the jokes just were a little too little too hard for my little tender (laughs) my little tender heart now I don't know they weren't as funny as they were the first time and I don't mean like all the jokes just the ones do you want me to go ahead and say go go right ahead this is a spoiler but obviously this film came out in 2001 so it's not a spoiler it's not a spoiler (laughs) but when Fiona is singing with the bird and the bird explodes and then she eats the eggs It just, it was too much. I was like, I wrote in my notes, too far, too far. It hurts, it hurts my heart. And the other one is when we see the mama bear and daddy bear and baby bear earlier. And then Farquaad has mama bear as a rug (laughs) on his floor because you could tell she's got a little bow still. And that just, I was like, mm. That is so funny. Because because honestly, I think that's one of the biggest draws of the film know, is its, it's irreverence. It is the fact irreverent. that it took the most yes. beloved fairy tales yes. of all time and yes. turned all of them on their ear. I, it did. But I just, as a person who has animals and pets, and I, I mean, I yeah, mean I'm I not like seriously like, oh, Shrek, but it just was like, oh. Yeah, you didn't think they were funny. Like those jokes did not land with they you. They did not land with me. Yes. No, no. But yes. I appreciate Shrek. And that's just the two parts that I thought, oh, sad. <laughs> I'm sad now. <laughs> I was the opposite because I remembered, oh, I really liked Shrek uh-huh. when it came out. But again, not having seen it in forever, mm-hmm. when I rewatched it, I was so impressed mm-hmm. by its cleverness. Yes. By the way it was groundbreaking, by some of the stylistic approaches. I mean, there was so much about it where I was like, wow. Okay, right. wow. I remember thinking, I cannot believe they're allowed to do this. Yes. <laughs> yes. I cannot believe that their Disney has not sued them. And I saw one video that said the reason they didn't sue them is because they didn't specifically reference what Disney did with the characters. They're public domain characters. Mm -hmm. So they could say Sleeping Beauty or say Cinderella, but they didn't do the Disney. They didn't look like the Disney versions of those. So they were very smart in the way they did their send-ups of these. But I saw on one one behind this, 
uh, not behind the scenes, but just like facts you may not know. Radio Disney would not allow DreamWorks to buy <laughs> to buy airtime to public oh. <laughs> to advertise Shrek. And there were some lawyers that did watch it to make sure that they. Oh, I'm sure they did. Oh, I'm sure they I did. I guarantee they were all over it because, yeah. again, I'm making inferences here, but just based on the factual things I read, it did not sound like they were on good terms no, at all like no yeah a lot of animosity perhaps well well let's talk more about our impressions of the movie as we go along whenever it seems to fit do you sure. have anything else you want to share right now or you can just jump in whenever it seems like a good time okay i'll do that okay oh, oh one one thing i want to say farquad's logo looks like the facebook blue and white logo that <laughs> <laughs> wasn't facebook yet but it did the little it did the have blue that banner and the white f i was like oh facebook before facebook maybe facebook got, got the idea more Mark Zuckerberg watching with that looks cool. (laughs) Well, here's something else you probably knew that I did not. The movie is based on a 1990 children's book called Shrek. I did not know that. William Steig. Yeah, I saw that and I did not remember or realize that. And he was a cartoonist. He was absolutely a cartoonist and an illustrator for the New Yorker magazine. And he only started writing works for children when he was 60 years old. It was mm-hmm. at the suggestion of one of his friends. But then he went on to write something like, I don't know, a couple dozen in the, over the next few decades. Yeah, he he passed away two years after Shrek came out and they dedicated Shrek 2 to him. Oh, I didn't remember that. That's nice. Well, the word Shrek means fright or terror in Yiddish and also German. And they said, this is from one of the sources, that the 1990 tome originated the story of a misanthropic green-headed ogre befriended by a donkey and beloved by an ogre princess. Well, DreamWorks decided they wanted to make the feature film of the book, of course, and William Steig agreed. In a Boston Globe interview, it said that he received 500000 for the rights, which didn't end up being a lot considering what that movie and the series made. Mm -hmm. But we did see in a different interview that William Steich approved of the movie, a woman named Claudia Nossen, who for a time curated an exhibit about Steich. She was quoted in an article as saying, quote, Steich was very old by then in his 90s, but when he went to see the movie and was asked his opinion, he said something like, it's vulgar, it's disgusting, and I love it. (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad he liked it. The bird wasn't too much for him. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where the idea originated. And to talk more about how it came to be, Jeffrey Katzenberg in that behind the scenes video shared that one of the goals when they decided to make the movie was that they wanted to, quote, create the unique balance of realism and fantasy that characterizes Shrek's world. Mm -hmm. So Jeffrey said they wanted to take this fairy tale world, bring it to life, and have it feel very realistic without it being photo realistic. Interesting. He said that he wanted it to be a, quote, very stylized realism. And one of the factors that would bring that out was they needed a level of humanism to their characters in terms of animation. Sure. So, for example, in that behind the scenes videos, they talked about the things that in the 2D traditional animation, you don't have to think about hair movement. Right. You don't have to think about right. grass. They talked about the fact that they wanted Shrek to have kind of a belly that jiggled uh-huh. to think about muscles. All of these things added such a level of realism, right. but also such a level of complexity to oh, their yes. work. It was oh, yes. crazy how technical this made it for them. I think I saw somewhere where it took nine hours to render one frame of this film. It would and, not surprise me. Oh gosh, rendering is just, it's just a nightmare. I Most of my life is spent waiting for videos to render. It's just <laughs> when you work on something and the changes and it, just, I don't even know how to describe it. Somebody smarter than me can tell you, but it's just making the changes so that you can rewatch it. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I switched to Final Cut, I mean, nobody's paying me to say this, so make that clear. I switched from Adobe Premiere way back in the day to Final Cut because you could, as you were working, it would render while you were working. Oh, and to so me, it that saved was, you so much oh, time. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. And Adobe Premiere may have caught up to that now, I don't know, but that was one of my reasons for switching. Mm-hmm. You spent all your life just sitting there and waiting and waiting, waiting for stuff to render. Yeah. Wow. And when it's already a very long, oh, yes. tedious process, yes. you don't need that. No. Well, that was kind of a comment in terms of what they were trying to achieve with their animation. The other thing that Jeffrey Katzenberg said was they knew part of the fun of making this movie was that they did want it to be a little irreverent mm-hmm. toward all of the wonderful, fun stories that everybody had grown up with. Mm-hmm. So those were kind of their goals. Mm -hmm. going into this about the cast let's talk about them so we've already mentioned Mike Myers and the fact that he took over when Chris Farley tragically passed away Mm -hmm. but 
here's here's a little bit more about that. It was a good catch for the studio at the time. It was tragic that they lost Chris. Right. But they were fortunate that they were able to bring Mike Myers on board because this was right about the time that he was getting a lot of Austin Powers attention. Oh, so he right. was he was very popular. And when they brought him in, and you know, of course he jumped right in. He's very confident. He's very funny. But he did affect the character of Shrek. One of the animators, Ken Harsha, said in an interview that Chris Farley's appearance had already influenced sure. how Shrek looked. He said, quote, Chris was a huge influence. He was the perfect role model. He said that Chris as an ogre was made to have a big nose, sure. funky ears, and Tommy Boy type hair. Ah. But when Mike took over, then they started to slant Shrek towards his features. All of a sudden, Shrek had bushier eyebrows. He had a large square-shaped face and his accent changed. Right. Like he didn't have an accent at first. Uh -huh. When Mike first came in, he tried to give it a Canadian accent. Mm -hmm. That didn't work for him. Mm -hmm. So he settled on the Scottish one. And it cost a lot of money to um, redo that. Yeah. Because he had to it. redo it. But I another behind the scenes thing I saw said that Mike Myers has a framed photo of from Steven Spielberg thanking him for finding the right accent and for making it such a success. Oh, how cool is that? Another thing I found, I don't know if this is true or not, because you know, anybody can say anything on the internet, so who knows. Mm -hmm. But I found something that said that Shrek was partially modeled after someone called Maurice Tillet. He was the French angel a professional wrestler and two-time world heavyweight champion in the American Wrestling Association. Well, that's fun. Do you want to know what he looks like? What does he look? Does he look like Shrek? Shrek. <laughs> Hang on, I'll show you. Okay, we got to we got to put this in the show notes. Yes. But as soon as I saw him, I went, "Oh, yes." Yes. Yes, right? I I see that. Yeah. I wonder how he feels about this. Uh, he doesn't. He passed away in the 50s. Okay. Yeah. He was from, he was early 1940s and was twice world heavyweight champion. So yeah, he was long gone. Nice. I hope his time. family takes that as a tribute. I think that it would have been. I think yeah. he was very, very beloved. Mm -hmm. yeah. He was born in 1903 and passed in 1954. Russian born French professional wrestler. Very so, cool. So yeah, that's from Wikipedia. Very nice. Cameron Diaz became Princess Fiona. Did you know that there was a different yeah, actor? I did. Janine Garofalo, my yes. girl from Mystery Men. You're a fan, right? I am a fan of hers, yes. And I saw two different things. One thing said that she had no idea why she was let go after Chris Farley, he, he was replaced. And the other thing said that she was let go because originally she was supposed to be sarcastic and Chris Farley was supposed to be very sweet and timid and they swapped it to where now Shrek's now, more Mike Myers is more sarcastic and Fiona was more oh, Swedish. That's interesting. I did not do the deep dive. I just came across this one article and it, it was an insider magazine quote. And all it said was that they were referencing an interview she'd given for Vulture. Mm -hmm. And in that she had said, quote, I was never told why I was right. fired. Yeah. I assume because I sound like a man sometimes. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Nobody told me. Okay. So yeah. they're going with she didn't know. She didn't know. Well, Cameron Diaz, of course, made a beautiful <laughs> Princess Fiona. She was so good in that role. They said at the time that she was hired, she had not yet had her breakout role. They considered it to be something, there's something about Mary, uh, which made, mm -hmm. made her popularity just skyrocket. But she talked about the fact that she really loved this role. So I'm going to ask you to read this quote from her, sure. Ashley. She says, when I met Fiona, she was just a young princess, faltering and fumbling, trying to find her place and make her way through a set of circumstances that were decided for her. She learned that she could and should be proud of her true self. From that base of strength and confidence, I got to stay with her. She blossomed into a wonderful partner to Shrek, a mother, a leader, thriving as a result of her perseverance, bravery, and the kind and wise people she met along the way. I originally was drawn to Fiona's quest for self-love and acceptance, and ultimately, we went on that adventure together. It is so rare to be with a character for a span of four films and to be able to see a character grow. To be a part of her journey has been such a gift. So that actually appeared in the foreword of a DreamWorks animation book that came out several years back now to celebrate its 25th anniversary. But I really thought we should share that because I liked how she talked about the sequels and the and the mm -hmm. the journey of growth that she got to experience alongside mm -hmm. that character. Something that kind of struck me as I was watching is I wondered if this was sort of a play on Beauty and the Beast because it was sort of a reversal of that mm -hmm. instead of the Beast turning into a human now we have the princess turning i'm gonna say beast loosely of course ogres mm -hmm. were considered beasts but i thought there was a lot of stuff 
similar to that, you know? Absolutely. In fact, I, in my rewatch notes, that's one of the things I put down was I saw, I saw where they had elements or, or yeah. you know, hints of Beauty and the Beast, right. especially when they were coming after him with a, you know, that yeah, the whole kill the beast scene. Yes. Yeah. But one of the things that came up in my mind, but also in a lot of the sources I saw of the reviews was the fact that it was the whole anti-hero idea. I just wrote that, yes, yeah. Shrek is a true anti-hero. That's exactly yeah. what he is. He's an anti-hero mm -hmm. and it's such a celebration of that mm -hmm. and so they do the same thing with Fiona they take all of these expectations and these tropes and yeah. these cliches right. and they turn them all on their head right and she starts off as a trope you're supposed mm -hmm. to rescue me now we're right. supposed to have true love's kiss this is the way it's all supposed to be right and it's not the way it's gonna be right and every bit of that is just beautifully done it and is. that's another reason why I was so impressed with this film I, w I really was impressed with the plot I thought it was a really good plot although we had um Bob and Betty vibes later on when you know he overheard just a oh, little bit yes, and they and get he... mad at each other I'm like just talk about it oh my gosh <laughs> so <laughs> I got a little mad at him there but yeah I mean we, it was really good plot device we have to have I know. It, yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, Eddie Murphy, of course, played the donkey. And he, like Mike Myers, was a very good catch for the studio. Because I don't know if you guys can think about this contextually. But if you'll recall, through the 90s, this man was killing it. Mm -hmm. Not only doing some films, but he had also started to make that crossover into animation. He was Mushu in Mulan. So he was in, Mushu first. Yes, in okay. 1998. Okay. So wildly popular. Right. And not only was he a good catch in terms of star power, he really affected this film as well. In fact, here is a quote from director Andrew Adamson talking about Eddie Murphy as the donkey. You'd pitch him a sequence and you'd show him the pages and he'd read it very quietly, just kind of to himself. And then he'd step in front of the microphone and just bam, instantly it's donkey. He'd come up with stuff we'd never even imagined. He'd take a single beat joke and turn it into a three beat joke. It's amazing. My notes, I said Eddie Murphy as donkey is one of the greatest voices voice castings of all time, like the genie in Aladdin. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, he wonderful. Made, he made that I mean, they all were wonderful, but if you don't have that right sidekick... Boy, he was great. Because because a buddy film, yeah. that, that's part of what this was. Like mm -hmm. you, you could give it so many different labels, but one of the really important labels was this was a buddy film. Mm -hmm. And Donkey is the one who helped Shrek see that he was lovable and right. that he was great the way he right. was and that he could be the hero. Right. I have later on the scene at night. Donkey is right. Why keep secrets? And they they had a really grown up conversation about their feelings and they mm -hmm. forgive each other. Yeah, I really, really really like that sequence where they talked it out and they actually talked to each other, which is what you should do. <laughs> and this was in a children's story, yes. which by the way, we haven't said this yet, but it was clearly a children's story that was also just as much for adults. Mm -hmm. And that's what another part of what made it so, I think, critically acclaimed and so popular. The whole popular. family could find something. Yes, everybody could learn from it. Everybody could enjoy it. It was it was beautifully done, I, I also thought. wrote that Donkey is definitely an extrovert yes. and Shrek is definitely an introvert. That's yes. like an extrovert adopting an introvert. Okay, we're kind of hitting on some thematic things now, I know. But that was another thing that was so well done was they portrayed Shrek's isolation, uh -huh. his loneliness, mm -hmm. his, what's the word, not fitting in with society. They mm -hmm. did such a beautiful job with it. And the way that Donkey Pulled managed to go in there and pull him out of it. Yep. It was goodness. Love it. Well, so the leads, I don't know about some of the other voice actors, but the leads, according to a New York Post article, speaking specifically about Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, and Cameron Diaz, were paid $350,000 each, which was pretty modest. That's peanuts. For, for this, yes. Yeah. It's going to change. Oh, I bet. <laughs> it's oh, going to change. Oh, I bet. Shrek too. they're like, excuse me, what? What now? Yeah, Let's yeah. renegotiate. Mm, I'll go ahead and tell you. Yeah. According to one source, it was $10 million <gasps> for the sequel. For each of them? That's what it said. What? Now, I did not look that up. I did not corroborate across sure. multiple sources, but that's what one credible source said. Holy so, cats. Yeah. Well, John Lithgow played Lord Farquaad, of course, and in the behind-the-scenes video that I've now mentioned several times, Jeffrey Katzenberg, again, talks about, in this case, John Lithgow. He calls him incredibly gifted, talks mm -hmm. about the wide range of characters that he's portrayed over the years, and he comments, quote, John as a villain in a comedy is a riot. <laughs> 
So he he obviously was a huge part of the success he too. Was. He they did all such were. a good job. It was job. very very yeah. well cast, and it was kind of cute. You know, John Lithgow I think has a great sense of humor. In a 2009 interview with the Los Angeles Times, he was quoted as saying, "I always said I would never play anyone short, and then came <laughs> Lord Farquaad." I forgot that Lord Farquaad got eaten. I completely <laughs> forgot because they get married. Yeah, they're married, and he's like, "My wife, wife." And I thought, "How in the world does she get out of this?" And then, oh, that's out. <laughs> forgot yeah I, there was a lot i had forgotten actually it was very enjoyable for me yeah, doing when it this happened, rewatch brian just went did he just get eaten and then she spits out the crown and he goes i guess so <laughs> just like wow well all right she just inherited the kingdom she's a widow now it's all good it's all good it's all good to talk about the process there's so much here we're not obviously going to hit it all but i think this fits nicely here because we just got through talking about the cast sure and a huge part of the process you've already alluded to it involves how the cast affects the story itself. Mm -hmm. So this came up time and again as I was doing my research. This process is so complicated and it took in this case four and a half years uh, I think the, they had so many issues with Shrek in fact it, in some cases they talked about the fact that it almost became that project that nobody wanted to do like almost a punishment like oh sure. you're not working out over here we're gonna put you over here on Shrek no, like not it Shrek. kind of fell into mm -hmm. no man's land for mm -hmm. a while so it took longer than other movies I think but animation in general is still a long process even if it's something that's clicking along well right but in this case they were struggling Shrek went through a number of different versions it went through a number of different directors they finally settled into their official vision and the team that would kind of stay with it and then one of the comments that was made was by Jeffrey again who said that there are so many elements that have to come together when you are making an animated movie but that the actors have to come in very early in the process right. And Cameron Diaz, by the way, shared in a talk show interview, I heard her say this herself, that she really only worked like two days on Shrek That's 1. That's I know. But their process was fascinating. This is a longer clip. It's about three minutes, just slightly over. But I think you're going to enjoy it. Okay. This is from that same video where you're going to hear the leads talking about the process that they followed when they were making Shrek. I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea. I never knew anything about the process. They said Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers were going to be in the movie. So I expected to sort of walk into a room with the two guys there and just be like, ah, you know, doing our lines off one another. And I instead I, I got a storyboard and um, a pointer stick. <laughs> sort of running across the bottom in dialogue <laughs> and explaining to me and I was like oh okay I get this, this is a different process just kind of act yourself through it and then right. you get to and then you'll have full breath and everything okay. the deed is great and thine heart is pure I didn't have anything in my head from <laughs> <laughs> the actors who perform are in a curious uh, little bubble we're in an isolation booth we only see it from uh, a little, uh, our own peculiar little angle. In fact, in the whole course of this project, I'll never even lay eyes on Eddie Murphy or Mike or Cameron. We, we have dialogues together and we end up in very intimate contact with each other, at least our voices do, in the film. <gasps> what kind of knight are you? One of a kind. What kind of knight are you? One of a kind. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. First of all, it takes a long time. It's kind of like doing a movie and then sending it out to space, and then a hundred years later, an alien comes by and said, I saw it. It was pretty good. <laughs> doing something like this, it's more collaborative than, than when I'm just, uh, it's just me and, and what I would do with my body and my face and uh, if I, my approach to a scene. And I found that the, the, the director and people involved are really specific about what they want. You know, so they kind of talk you through things. Yeah, really, and try one, just go a bit over the top, really upset with yourself. Really upset that you're still afraid of the dark. You haven't conquered that fear. Well, don't feel bad, Princess. I used to be afraid of the dark, too. Until, hey, no, wait. I'm still afraid of the dark. And then you see that, you know, them draw, you know, how they wanted your voice to go because he was a little more this in the scene. He was a little more angry or he was a little scared. See that come out, you know. <laughs> They've got terrific shorthand, and they're very good at talking to actors. They do videotape you as you, as you work, um, but they say that no one's going to ever see them. <laughs> and I have that in writing, I think. The animators love to watch Kevin Diaz. <laughs> what? You did it! You did it! 
dots, I'll admit. They they take that and they sort of like use that as a guidelines to sort of get some gestures of, you know, when you're screaming or moving around. It's just so helpful because sometimes, sometimes it's not so much about the body language because when they're doing recording, most of the time they, they're just standing there looking at a piece of paper. But um, it's the, the detail of the face. Whatever was going on on their faces while they were talking is so special. Wasn't that amazing? That really was. It lets you know how nuanced and how specific because they can't waste any kind of film or they can't waste any animation. They need it to be exactly what they need it to be. You all watching that, Cameron Diaz in particular, you saw the uh, all the voice actors, well, the leads anyway, doing their lines. Mm -hmm. And there's some movement. There's great facial expression mm -hmm. from all of them. Cameron Diaz is standing up, straight up acting. Yes. Like her gesturing is beautiful. And when you watch, you can see why they said that, I don't know if you could tell that animator said, we loved watching Cameron Diaz. <laughs> Because the gestures that you were seeing her do, you see Princess Fiona right. do many of those right. in the film. Yeah. They took it straight from what she was performing mm -hmm. as she was recording those lines. I thought that was absolutely, I thought it was fascinating to watch, but I also, it helped me understand the process and what they can take from their actors. Yeah, and I loved how respectful they all were of the vision, the original vision. Like even Eddie Murphy, who loves to riff and do all of this stuff, how respectful he was of, here's how I want you to do it. Okay, I'll do it that way, mm -hmm. you know. And just since you guys couldn't see it again check out the video if you're interested it's wonderful but what those actors had at that point was basically a storyboard you saw on this wall where they had kind of the outline of the scene that they were getting ready to record and with that pointer somebody from the team was going through like here's what's happening and here's mm -hmm. what you're going to be saying here's how you're feeling and here's how you're reacting mm -hmm. and then they put them in that recording booth and they have their their headphones on and they're watching the scene ahead of them and in front of them is a stand with their lines and they're just recording as they're watching the scene mm -hmm. so that's what they're going from mm -hmm. and they're doing this very early in this animation process when this movie has not been made at all it's just basically a storyboard i like what mike meyer said about it's something you make and then you send it up to space and a hundred <laughs> years later an alien goes yeah it was pretty good because <laughs> was... you just do it and then years and years later you forget that yeah. it was done you're like oh yeah i did that now it's coming out that's cool Hope it's good. Hope it's good. <laughs> Hope people like it. Yeah. Why don't we take a quick break before we go on? Okay. Do you love tea? Do you love entertainment? Do you love listening to stories from your two new BFFs? Then consider joining the club over at buymeacoffee.com. For $5 per month, you can be a part of the 1939 Club, otherwise known as the Golden Year of Cinema. When Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Stagecoach of Mice and Men, Wuthering Heights, Hound of the Baskervilles, The Little Princess, Babes in Arms, Goodbye Mr. Chips, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and of course, The Wizard of Oz were released. Perks include a 5% discount on new merchandise, a shout out for new members, an opportunity to be listed as a supporter in show notes, and exclusive access to bonus content. However, if you're feeling doubly generous, you can join the 1993 Club, otherwise known as the greatest year of cinema. This is the year that Schindler's List, The Sandlot, The Fugitive, Rudy, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Sleepless in Seattle, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Mrs. Doubtfire, Grumpy Old Men, and of course, Jurassic Park were released. Additional perks in this club include a 10% discount on Scandalwater merchandise, the opportunity to record a shout out of your own, and the chance to vote in our guaranteed content poll, along with the warm and sunny feeling that you're supporting your besties. If clubbing isn't your thing, there's a one-time gift option too. Either way, those who support Scandalwater report fewer bad hair days, more green lights and traffic, and a grander sense of purpose and wonder at least once per day. Scandalwater, we do the research so you don't have to. All right, we are back to continue talking about Shrek. I'm going to tell you, when I went into this episode, I thought it was really going to be just the content. Like, we're just going to mm -hmm. kind of talk about the movie. Mm -hmm. I got so caught up in the fact that it was an animated film and the process they followed mm -hmm. and what it took to bring this to life because I really was very uninformed about this. This was just fascinating. So we could talk about this for a long time. We're not going to, guys. <laughs> I'm just going to hit I'm going to hit one or two little highlights. Here are a couple of things that really struck me. One of the challenges they talked about was 
was that this was basically the first animated film where they were really trying to make it three-dimensional. Like they were trying to make this full out 3D, lots of texture, lots of dimension. And Vicki Jensen, one of the two directors, said that she felt like they were creating something that had never been seen before with the approach that they were using. It it, it called in not only the things I've already said, but it, lighting, the number of props that yeah. they would put in a scene. There were so many things that helped to make it that extra dimension. Some of the challenges with the approach that they were trying to do involved the fact that they had something like 50 different locations, which meant creating a set right. for every one of those locations. Right. And they also had to, they talked about the fact that so much of this was CGI and how complicated it was. It kind of makes me think of what you were talking about with rendering. Those yeah. little pieces that you wouldn't expect would be so important or so complicated ends up being super complicated. This is what I thought was a fun little story. It is very short. Sure. It is like 25 seconds. From that video, this is Ken Bylenberg, the visual effects supervisor on the film. He's giving an example, I think, that shows how complex a process this was. Everything's a, a case of trial and error. Uh, for instance, we had um, shots of Donkey. It was actually someone's first day in production and they made one change which they thought was an, an innocent change and the next day we got back renders from about a half a dozen shots with Donkey looking like a Chia pet. Kick to the curb! Don't mess with me, I'm the stand master! I've mastered the stands! I wish I had to step right here, right here, and now I step all over it! It's just so adorable. We, we've saved those and um, we look back at them every once in a while for, for a good laugh. I heard that story. Had I you saw, heard that before? Yeah, I did and I saw and it was somebody who was just trying to help and I so sympathize with those people. They went home. It's nine hours to render. You go home, you come back, you're like, what has happened? <laughs> but then they kept it because he was so cute and fuzzy. It was adorable. It I was. showed Ashley the, the video of it. But I think that's the kind of process this is. When one person making one little change... Yeah can undo the so work that you've work. been doing for months at a yeah. time. I mean, that that's a scary process. I have so much admiration. Can I just say so much admiration for people who make these Pixar style, I don't know what else to call it, the, the 3D animation cartoonist stop motion people. I do not have the patience. I do not have the fortitude to get through this. I just be like, well, I guess we're never going to have Shrek because <laughs> I am just not called to this line of business. Yeah. But I admire them so oh, much. Oh, me too. It is such a talent, such mm -hmm. a skill. And they talked about in this approach they were using, the 3D, very rich textures, that type of thing. They said that the simple things would be incredibly difficult to make look realistic using CGI. For example, water, mud, fire, pouring milk. Those seem like the simplest little things. And it might only be a few seconds in the film, right. but it would be this monumental process for them. Mm -hmm. So I believe this is the last clip I'm going to share with you, but this is where Mike Myers and a few different animators chime in briefly to discuss fire. My favorite moment in the movie is, um, is the moment where uh, Shrek and Donkey save Fiona from the castle and they're being chased by the dragon. <laughs> it talks! Yes, get them to shut up, that's a trick! The animation is amazing. You see them being chased by this big ball of fire, and every turn in this movie is amazing because there's a new visual effect that just blows your mind. The fire um, on Shrek is, for the most part, um, CG. Um, in this sequence, the fire is its almost a character itself as far as um, needing to you know, move through the scene and interact with the characters. Basically, we started off with um, just a very simple ball. And we just animated the ball at the camera to get the timing right. And they started building their effects on top of that timing. So we would then, um, we'd have a simplified bunch of triangles just fly out at you. And then it would get slightly more blobby, more detailed. And then finally you see the lighting, you see amazing effects coming out at you straight at your face. That's insane. So I know you guys couldn't see it. Ashley, do you want to describe just really briefly what you noticed there as you were watching? It kind of looked like the Indiana Jones ball, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where it comes mm -hmm. and it had little triangles. It was a red ball that was chasing after them and then it turned into like gray bubbles and mm -hmm. then it turned into the fire, which through some kind of sorcery, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what the transfer process was, but that's insane. It's yeah, just crazy. It is. I mean, to see that behind the scenes look at it, mm -hmm. I just found that so interesting. I also want to say at this point, I felt sorry for Dragon. I, yeah. I did. Yeah. She was sad and lonely. She just needed a friend. 
But see, it had a happy ending. It did for her too. Yes, that's another great thing she about this movie. She just looked really sad. But one more thing about that video clip. I loved how the visual effects supervisor said fire is almost like a character yeah. itself. Yeah. Like that's how these people are thinking. They have such an artistic approach to everything. He said, we had to think about how fire interacted with the characters and moved that scene forward. I'm like, you all are genius That's people. why they're in charge of Shrek. <laughs> and and making we're a not. lot of money. <laughs> and we're not. So I think all this brings us to the point that I was trying to, to kind of emphasize here. This was incredibly groundbreaking work. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing that made Shrek so different and so impressive for this time period, which again was 2001. Right. It's why it won awards. Eddie Murphy commented that he himself was blown away the first time he saw the movie. He said it was amazing what they did visually. And he talked about how far animation had come. And then this is all in that same video. Jeffrey Katzenberg then commented, the amazing thing is how revolutionary the computer has been in animation. Not evolutionary, but revolutionary. And so this was where they were at this time. They were revolutionizing this industry with the work they were doing. It really, really was. And you mentioned early on that it won Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. I don't know if it was clear enough that they were the first recipient. very first ever. And another thing I noticed, or another thing I saw, was that Shrek has a star now on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 2010, he was granted a star. He is one of only 15 fictional characters who has a star. That is so cool. I still want us to do an episode one day on how you get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but Shrek is one of them. Shrek is one of them. Well, talking about prestige, Shrek actually premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. I saw that too. Yeah. So that says to me, if he, if Shrek got chosen to be sent there for its premiere, everybody recognized that this was going to be something special and groundbreaking. But it was cute because one of those directors, Andrew Adamson, he commented in an interview that when they were sitting there at the premiere he said i said this is just going to be a disaster this is not the right audience for this film the song the animation everything about this was a poor choice to be bringing here and he talked about how the audience was absolutely quiet for the first 10 minutes or so of the film he thought they hated it Uh but i think in retrospect he thought they were just trying to figure out what's going on like this was so different like the irreverence the fact that this was not your typical animated film for children and he said it took a while and slowly they seemed to be getting Mm -hmm. it and by the time it ended at the Cannes Film Festival, Shrek got a standing ovation that this director remembered as being 12 minutes long, what in the world? according to something he said in a 2021 article published by The Ringer. I hear about that all the time. These standing ovations the last 6, 12, 15 minutes. I could not stand there and clap for 15 minutes. That's craziness. Yes. I'm finding out through this podcast how lazy I actually am, Candy. <laughs> I cannot do this. I cannot do that. I couldn't clap for 15 minutes. I'd be like, good job. And I said, my down. hands would hurt. My hands would hurt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the movie went on to gross $42 million its first weekend, which was the biggest opening for DreamWorks to that point. And as we've already said, ultimately, it brought in something like $484 million in worldwide sales. In a 2007 interview with The Age, co-founder... Same guy we keep talking about. Jeffrey Katzenberg said, quote, that first Shrek saved the company financially. Mm -hmm. We are here today because of it. Mm -hmm. It's been a great blessing. I refer to it as the gift that keeps on giving. I bet he does. Something we've not yet talked about was the incredibly, incredibly successful soundtrack. Do you remember any of the songs from that? Somebody once told me. Yes. And that was it. Also, Mystery Men did it first. They had that song first. The Smash Mouse All-Star had already been out for a while. Right. In fact, they tried to find a different song because it was already... In Mystery Men and other places. Yes. But it was just a holder track, but people loved it so much they kept it, which led to them doing the last song. Um, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And they used that song because of the line, I thought love was only true in fairy tales. Yes. Boom. And Smash Mouth was reluctant to do it at first. Ultimately, so happy and excited that they I did it. I bet. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do you remember back in 2001, 2002, listening to that soundtrack yourself? Because my family did. We listened oh, to that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I loved it. Now, I wanted to go down this rabbit trail just a tiny bit because one of the things I always admire about 
artistic works, whether it's a film or something else, is when everything is so intentional and everything mm -hmm. is so tightly interwoven. Mm -hmm. And so this same 2021 Ringer article I mentioned just a moment ago, it was written all about the musical significance of Shrek. And here's a quote from that article. Its signature contribution to the culture and the main fuel for nostalgia among millennials may be its boundary-smashing use of licensed popular songs, right. especially All-Star, I'm a Believer, and Hallelujah. Right. Shrek was the first animated picture to have in its dialogue and in its music pop references, says oh. Mary Lada Elton, Shrek's music supervisor. They did this intentionally. They said one of their motivations in going the route of pop songs versus an original score yeah. was to try to separate themselves from Disney sure. and other of sure. common animators of the time. But the same lady, the music supervisor, went on to say, quote, I wanted to really have our projects, our vocals, our everything be different than the classic Disney sound or what animation has known to be in music. So the idea that the filmmakers were going to put in pop songs hadn't been done before, but they also went on to say everything about this film was about flipping expectations on its head. Mm -hmm. And so here you are in a movie that seems to be set in medieval times and you're playing modern music. Modern music. Yeah, everything helped reinforce that theme sure. of nothing's as you expect. Right. And then when you would hear those songs on the radio, you're going to think about Shrek. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that soundtrack climbed to the top of the Billboard chart. It went multi-platinum. The soundtrack Shrek 2 also hit number one and went platinum as well. Mm -hmm. So this same lady, one last quote, she said, what ended up happening is that Shrek became pop culture itself. Interesting. So Ashley's already said this. The movie was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Animated Feature. Took home the Oscar for the second one. First ever Oscar given in the category of Best Animated Feature. Mm -hmm. And also, people noted that it was usually Disney that took this. Yeah. So it was a huge upset in that respect. We obviously had several sequels that came from this. Shrek 2 in 2004, which also opened at the Cannes Film Festival. And I saw, and I'm going to get this wrong because I was, I was trying to, I watched a lot of videos, but I think they said something like the opening weekend of Shrek 2 is still the biggest opening for oh, an really? animated picture ever, even wow. with Frozen and stuff. That would not surprise yeah. me, but it surpassed the original. Like it, mm -hmm. I mean, it was such a hit. Shrek the third was 2007 and Shrek Forever After was 2010. And we also had some Puss in the Boots spinoff films. I liked Puss TV in Boots. Series. I liked mm -hmm. Antoni Antonio Banderas in that character. They also developed a Broadway musical of Shrek. I have like, seen it. Really? Not, on, not on Broadway. Oh, okay. oh for Pete's sake. No. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to Broadway and seen that. No, I've seen community theater productions okay. of it. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. Okay. Yeah. Well, it ran from 2008 to 2010 on Broadway. Did you know that and Foster played Princess Fiona. I did not. Mm -hmm. And it was Shrek was chosen as one of the 25 movies added to the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress in 2020. And one last quote from that Ringer article that I've mentioned a few times. This was, by the way, an article that came out to commemorate the film's 20th anniversary, so it's been a few years ago. But it said, from a billion-dollar film franchise and Broadway musical to a theme park ride and a plethora of modern-day memes, there's no denying the cultural impact of the green ogre shrek changed the animation game mm -hmm. forever armchair psychologist for our armchair ashley i know we both watched it we've, we've yes. mentioned that several times i just thought i would open this to what other notes the comments thoughts did we want to share that we've not had a chance to address yet i've actually only got a few because okay. we've talked about most of them throughout it one thing that i talked about early on is that shrek immediately shows us that he's literally going to turn fairy tales on their mm -hmm. head he's just it's not going to be like what you thought it was where he's reading in the book and then he rips it out and what he uses the page for it's yes. like oh this is not going to be what i thought it was and then i'm going to skip to the dark night of the soul where all is lost for our three friends and the montage i really like how they did it mm -hmm. where they showed them at a table and then you'd show him eating his dinner and it would fade out and show her in the castle mm -hmm. and just how they were all so sad without each other i thought it was a really good sequence of the dark night of the soul mm -hmm. and the last thing that i made a note of that we haven't talked about oh i have two things the la one of the last things about actually shrek is if you notice that at the end their carriage was an onion oh you know where he talks about we have layers so they yes. left an onion. how cool yeah and this is a little trivia that i saw about shrek 2 so this isn't about the original film but in shrek 2 when the fairy tale creatures rescue puss in boots donkey and shrek the music is the theme to mission impossible 
fun. Isn't that fun? <laughs> yes, yes, it, it is. is. I like that. Very interesting. We've already talked about a lot of my notes as well. A couple of other things, I think, just to piggyback on what we'd already said, actually. The cleverness and the fact that a lot of that cleverness came through pop culture references. Like, for example, using the dating game <laughs> to introduce the princesses. Big three, big three. Or having the muffin, when he, when he actually says the lines of, do you know, do the, you muffin, know the muffin muffin? I lives mean, on Drury Lane? <laughs> yes. I mean, I you're literally, how could you not laugh? Yeah. Like, how could you not laugh? It was just so clever and uh, it was such an intelligent film. It really was intelligent. Yes. As far as, it, even though it was irreverent and all of that, it really was well written. It was. And I liked it. I go back again to what does it take to make a great film and when it can make you laugh, but also still make you love mm -hmm. characters, mm -hmm. get you emotionally invested, mm -hmm. make you almost tear up in an animated film. Like right. there were moments when you felt the loneliness yeah. or the isolation, you were rooting for them to get together. Mm -hmm. You know, when you can get an audience to do that through a, basically what they're calling a children's movie, right. that's some talent. It really, really, really is. Yeah. And I agree with you. A lot of the humor came from Donkey. By the way, we haven't yet said this. You know, there's a lot of talk about a new sequel. No kidding. Oh, yeah. I did oh, not yeah. know that. In fact, I did not, you know, do the deep, deep dive. I just kept coming across different articles just in passing where at first it was like, Cameron Diaz, well, doesn't want to be on board because she's now retired from acting again and but she wants to be with again. her family. But then I saw where, no, now all the leads are in talks and they seem willing to be back again. Huh. So not sure, but uh -huh. it sounds as though there's a good possibility that we may have another sequel. Interesting. Eddie Murphy has also been quoted as saying he thinks Donkey needs a spinoff. He oh, likes wow. Puss in the Boots. He he gave he you know he gave props to Puss in the Boots, but he said Donkey's funnier than you know that character. <laughs> we need a Donkey spinoff. I wonder what Donkey would do though. Would it be a prequel or what? I have no idea. I don't know. Usually, but Eddie Murphy he'll help come up with. I'm it. sure he will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good place to end this. Mm -hmm. So a big cheers to all the people involved with this production mm -hmm. because talk about a team effort. Yes. So much skill, so much talent. We really admire you all and your patience. Yeah. I admire their patience yeah. and their creativity and artistry. All, all of it. it. All, all of it. it. <laughs> and William Steig, too, for having yes. the original idea. Sure. So a big cheers to everyone involved with Shrek. Cheers. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.